Hello and welcome to the LGBTQ STEMcast, a podcast where our main goal is to lift the voices of LGBTQ scientists across all STEM fields. Today we'll be talking with Dr. Blarney Pearlstone, a science communicator and podcaster from the United Kingdom. As a small reminder, please support us on Patreon. Thank you and enjoy the episode. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, middle of the afternoon here. It's quite nice. How is it living on the other side of the world? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I, I kind of wish I wasn't part of the UK right now because of all the shit that's going on. Um, I, I think we can all relate to that. I think I would like to live in my own island with my own rules at this point because the whole world is completely a mess. But can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Dr. Brunley Pearlstone. I'm a triple threat. Um, I am a scientist. I have a PhD in astrophysics. I'm a science communicator. I have my own podcast, Psycurious. And I'm suspiciously queer. Um, I'm quite gay and I might be non-binary. We're getting there. <laughs> That's great. So why did you actually do astrophysics? Can we talk a little bit about that? What got you into that field? <laughs> it was kind of an accident right so um when i in the uk the system is that you go through high school you get what are called your gcses um and you get maybe 10 of them so you, they're quite general um you have to do science you have to do english you have to do maths and then the rest is up to you um then you do your a levels and you do maybe three of them and that's where you start specializing um i did psychology and physics and maths and then you get to apply to university where you just pick one thing and you go through sort of a, a course. It's not like in the US where you get to pick and choose your uh, courses and end up majoring and minoring in something. You just sort of pick a course. Um, and I picked psychology, which the astute among you will realize is not astrophysics. Um, but I did badly in my levels and didn't get the grades to get in. And so I fell back onto physics. And I went to university to do physics. And I did badly again and I had to move to university and decided that what I'll do is I'll stop smoking weed and realize that I'm queer and just be myself a bit and settle down. Uh, and I did quite well at physics. Um, ended up with a first class degree, which is pretty good, a master's degree. So I don't have a bachelor's, I just have an undergraduate master's, which is reasonably common over here in physics. But I, I wasn't astrophysics in particular, I was quite general. Then I took a year out working in the industry I was designing ultrasonic transducers, you know, as you do in an old converted barn um, and decided that I wanted to move out of my mum's place because it was uh, living in a small town in the middle of the countryside in England as a little gay boy. It was not very fun. And so I applied to PhDs and a friend of mine said, hi, I'm in Glasgow in Scotland and uh, we've got a PhD going here. Do you want to be part of this project? And I just said yes and came up to the interview and the group was lovely. So I chose the group and the people as opposed to the subject. It just so happened to be a very, very interesting subject, which was astrophysics. That's amazing. Astrophysics sounds like such a interesting field. But to me, I just by the word physics, I get scared of it. I hate physics ever since high school. I just maybe it was my bad experience with that specific teacher in high school. But that's the only science that I really don't like. I even prefer like math, you know. I had a friend who told me that, like, you should, like, rank the sciences. And I obviously put biology first, then math, chemistry, and then physics. I even like chemistry more than physics. So you can imagine how much I despise physics. But I'm glad you like it. So you say you do science communication. Can you tell me how you actually got into that? 
so during my PhD, I looked for ways to not do work. I was looking for ways that I could avoid uh, doing the research that I didn't really love. And we can come around to that in a bit if you like. But a lot of that was trying to be productive while I was not working. And so going around to schools and talking about how to get into physics, which now that I think about it was really disingenuous because I didn't want to be in physics. Um, and um, just chatting science and chatting, trying to get the average Joe public uh, interested in what it was that we were doing uh, in the group because it was objectively really quite interesting. Um, but I was part of the LIGO collaboration, so it turned out to be quite a good place to be at the right time. Um, and it, I just sort of was evangelizing that uh, group. And that, in a sense, is science communication because you're talking about science. And that got me interested. And I thought, okay, this is great, but I'm not doing the psychom I want to be doing. I want to talk about gay people in science because I don't see many of them well no I see loads of gay people in science just not on the tv not represented in the media uh we're everywhere but like you don't see us we're in the shadows yeah but we're everywhere that's a good part that's a good thing about us we're everywhere (laughs) when where you least suspect us we're there (laughs) but I completely relate to that that's why I actually started this podcast I know we talked about it in the episode that I recorded for your podcast that everybody can check out I'm gonna leave the in the descriptions of the episode as well as on the social media whenever this episode comes out so and just psych curious the podcast that highlights lgbtq people in stem and gets to know the queer side of science i don't mind a cheeky plug i actually i'm very excited for people to listen to our episode i think it was a good conversation so yeah um you said that you really didn't you know that's not the research you love doing can you talk a little bit about why Right. So research, as you do it in academia, is very, very different to learning like you do in school and university. When you're learning, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And when you get the right answer, you have a little buzz and your brain makes a happy chemical and it's a fun time for all. Research doesn't have a right answer. When you're looking at like science on TV, it all looks very interesting. You mix chemical A with chemical B and it turns blue and puff of smoke comes up and, and then you win a prize. But actually, the everyday of science is not like that at all. That, that's the uh, exception to science, as I understand it. My uh, research was primarily coding. So I learned Python, and I learned MATLAB, and I did a whole bunch of coding. And it was about neutron stars, which are these really cool, really exotic uh, objects in space made up entirely of neutrons, pretty much, with like a crust of iron, and a core of superfluid. So they're these really, really weird objects. Um, but I was looking for how a detector would detect that. But again, that was the science that was really done. So I was looking at what kind of things might they be detecting. But most of that was also already done. And so I was looking at this edge case of the edge case of the edge case. And at that point, you know, I could tell you that I was looking for quasi-transient continuous waves which are uh, sine waves that come in and out of focus that might not even exist. And I was you know, augmenting an existing pipeline, an ex- existing uh, search algorithm, so that it would allow for this stepping in and stepping out of the wave. Um, and most of it was you know, technical problems trying to deal with minimizing the computer load so that it can do this search. But when you, when, when you zoom all that way in, 
most of the time it's bug fixing, it's uh, making the code that much more efficient, it's doing the theoretical work behind the code to show that you're actually looking for the right thing. It's not particularly thrilling. When you zoom out and say, I'm looking for ways from neutron stars, it's fun. But when you zoom in, the day-to-day is not. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, I'm basically just starting to learn how to code like R statistics and like basic Python, and I'm already getting like kind of tired of it. You know what I mean? I cannot imagine just basically coding for the whole day, days, like at a time. I could never do that. But I think it's also good that it, you know, it brought you to what you really like doing, science communication. So that's also a good part of it. Yeah. And um, why didn't you end up staying in academia? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, PhDs are hard. Like, none of the work itself is that challenging. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so where, where in any given course in university might be a sprint, you've got six months to learn this and get the best grade, and boom, you're done. In the UK, a PhD lasts four years. In the US, I think it's longer, seven years. Um, and you might only have one result. You might have a couple, but you might only have one result. And it really is a long slog sprint. And at the end of it, you write up your 200-page thesis and you submit it for peer review where a jury of your peers, i.e. people of your equal, so they're also experts, look over it and uh, judge it and give you corrections. Except very often, because you're dealing with academics, they don't think of themselves as your peers, they think of themselves as your superior. And then they take that chance to, you know, pick apart the... My, my Viva, the, the uh, sort of oral exam, where they look at your thesis they've read and tell you... Uh, talk through it with you it was basically my external examiner turning the pages and saying i don't like this i don't like this should have done that differently don't like that one one of the comments i got from it afterwards was literally don't use the word but students uh, don't use the word although students like to use the word although but often but is better which is not a, a good comment about the science and it's completely subjective um, and that really sort of dropped the veil from my eyes. It was a nasty experience. Uh, it was not a very fun time to be. And it made me absolutely sure that it was not the community that I wanted to be part of. I don't want to be part of a community that treats people like that. I'd much rather uh, be in a kind community where people are valued for the work they do and not picked apart for a subjective dislike of a word. I completely get it. And surprisingly to me as an undergraduate, it's been so kind of eye-opening to hear the different experiences because you know there's always different sides to every story and to every you know different points of view from every experience and every person but i've collectively heard so many like negative experiences from academia and even on science twitter i read so many different things that it makes every i think it makes me as an undergraduate reconsider what i want to do and that but i think that's also very important that way everybody can make an informed decision of what they really want to do so that's why I really want to thank you for, you know, sharing that experience with us, the public. Listen, the last thing that I want to do is say to people, don't do a PhD because people are bad. What I want to happen is for, you know, if you, if you say people don't do a PhD because the people are bad, what happens is the people who come at this with kindness and the people who come at this with positivity and uplifting uh, group mentality don't do a PhD and they don't carry on academia. 
and this sort of uh, negative superiority complex goes on forever and it never changes. What I'd like to see happen is people who uh, know what they're getting into go into this PhD marathon with a thick skin and come out of it the other side wanting to stay in academia so that in 20 years time when they're a professor and they're uh, examining somebody else for a viva, you know, they treat it with kindness. They don't treat it with derision. Yeah, that's such an amazing, like, you know, that's a very good goal. I mean, I think it's, that's also very important why people should really know what they're getting into and the kind of community that it is right now and how they can actually, you know, they're going to be the ones that can change it in the future if they do go in it. But I know how you said that you yeah. kind of uh, did, like got into astrophysics by mistake and by just random things of life. What other fields did you consider besides psychology, as you mentioned before? So it was pretty much just either psychology or physics. There's this stage hypnotist in the UK called Darren Brown. And he was the reason that I wanted to get into psychology. He's just such a showman and he plays with people's minds in the weirdest ways. Um, but looking back, it wouldn't have been a good life choice. Uh, physics was a much better life choice. Uh, but I couldn't really see myself doing much else. In another life, I'd love to be uh, a trucker guy who drives trucks across america on these long drives but i can't drive i'm not allowed to drive i've got bad eyes so uh that's off the table oh i actually i we talked about this a little bit in your podcast but i actually got my license like a year ago and maybe a year and a half ago i don't really remember the exact time but i mentioned how it was really stressful for me to learn how to drive on my own because i was when i learned how to drive i was driving always with my mom mm. and when i moved to Puerto Rico for college that's when i you know took my driver's test i didn't fail but i was very nervous and scared but driving is such a scary thing and i don't know why it's like so why it gives me so much nerves so like i get really nervous when i drive yep. but you know everybody has to do it behind the wheel of a one-ton machine that burns up dead dinosaurs it should be scary exactly when and like it's just such a normal thing now like it's basically a weapon. Like, that's why it scares you so much. You can do so much damage with a car. I find it weird that in the USA, it's part of school. You have driver's ed. Over here, you, oh, yeah. you get a provisional driving license at 17 after you've left high school. Um, and a lot of people don't learn to drive because we have reasonably good public transport. Oh, yeah. We can relate over here with, like, public transport. Um, ugh, never. In Puerto Rico, ugh, it sucks. Plus... This is something like not a lot of people that don't live in Puerto Rico know. Our streets are so bad. There's has so many holes and bumps and everything that like it's so scary to drive here because you're constantly trying to, you know, not hit like the holes and the bumps in the road. Mm. So let's go. Let's go back to being LGBTQ in STEM. Do you think it would have helped you if you have seen more LGBTQ scientists? Would it have you be more accepting towards yourself? Controversial answer. Answer no. Um, when I was doing my PhD, I saw a lot of LGBTQ scientists um, over here. We've got a conference called the LGBTQ Seminar, which is what it sounds like. Um, it's a meeting of minds uh, of LGBTQ people in STEM who come together to present their research. Um, I found that two years into my PhD and that changed uh, for me how I view it. 
I knew plenty of LGBTQ people in STEM before that. Um, and knowing more wouldn't have changed anything. It's having that different outlook from that organized group that said, yes, it is actually okay to um, be yourself. Yes, it is actually okay uh, to bring your whole self to work. Everyone else does, and it's not unprofessional for them. And it is actually okay to be queer in the workplace because it's a protected characteristic. Um, it's not okay to feel like you should be othered for it. And it's not okay to feel like you should have to hide it because of professionalism. Other people don't hide themselves because of professionalism. It's a protected characteristic. So what I needed was that I'm dumb. I'm thick. Uh, I need to have something spelled out for me explicitly. I don't need subtle hints from a community. And so for me, having that community, um, which I now have over Twitter, uh, the LGBT STEM Twitter is incredible. Um, for some accounts, you can go follow um, at the lab and field. He is one of the minds behind the LGBT seminar um, at PhD geek. Uh, she also helped set up the seminar. Um, we've got uh, at LGBT physics is uh, pretty incredible. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Once you get a couple of the, the follows, you, you find the whole community and it's great. Um, but that's what I needed. I don't think I needed more more queer people. I needed more queer people organizing. That makes a lot of sense. I completely see where you're going with that. And I think as you know, queer people get into power in academic positions, we're starting to see a shift and a change. And it's, it's an undergraduate that me happy that I can now I can feel like I can be myself in you know different situations where before I was really scared. Right. It's something that really is eye opening when you see more um, queer people in positions of power because I'm like okay now I know I can reach that even if I'm out and proud basically. Well, listen, this is one of the things I tried to do with Sycurious is to interview people and highlight uh, LGBTQ people in STEM at all levels of organization. So I think you are the first undergraduate that I've uh, actually spoken to. So a slap on the wrist for that. But we've also spoken to PhD students, to postdocs, to lecturers, and to full-blown full -blown professors. The last um, episode that I published featured, or well, at least at the time of recording, featured uh, one of the deans of one of the colleges at Oxford who just happens to be a trans woman. So... You know, being able to, to say you can do whatever you want to and be queer in STEM is such a powerful message, especially when you don't see it like in the world in your day to day. Just being able to, to highlight those voices is great. I completely agree. And that's also, I resonate with that because that's also why I started this podcast. When I'm looking for people to interview, I'm trying very hard to diversify my cast. I'm trying to get people from different fields, different perspectives, different stages. I'm very, like trying to keep it like diverse because I want everybody to know there's at least one person that's going through similar situations as them and that identifies the same as them. Mm. And I think that's great about podcasts like this one and yours that we're giving a voice to people and that's the most important part. I really admire as well the way that you're paying it forward with the LGBTQ STEM cast in that, you know, you're hiring uh, LGBTQ people to make the artwork, to uh, design the website, you know, from, from, from A to Z, you're, you're, you know, paying forward anything you get to, to improve the project and to uplift LGBTQ people. Yeah, it's, it also makes me really happy because 
I know and I've heard so many stories about how, you know, a lot of queer people get disowned basically by their families. And even if it's like by a few dollars, I can help them and, you know, share their art and their craft. It makes me happy and I know it makes them happy. And I, I give them the platform as well, you know, because this project has grown at such a large pace and I'm so, I still makes it still hard to believe to me that I, my podcast has grown so much. And it was such a, uh idea that i figured in my bedroom one day and i that i just posted on twitter and it just got so big that i couldn't you know see it getting me to this level when i was first starting so i really want to share that off and like you know help others so do you have any advice for young lgbtq scientists that are might be you know struggling when it comes to seeing their likes and dislikes as unprofessionals yeah um if you're comfortable being out at home, and if you're comfortable being out with your friends, uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be comfortable being out at work. And that's not to say, you know, push yourself into that position. But if you're not in that position where you are comfortable being out at work, you know, ask yourself why in the context of the workplace. Not what are you doing that's not comfortable, but what's the workplace doing that's not making you comfortable? And these are the red flags that you should look for. Um, is it to do with the language that's used about uh, playing the pronoun game? Do you see that too much? Because at least in, the, in physics, there's this perception that the laws of the universe don't care who the scientist is. And so they could hire anybody to do the job. And as long as they're a sufficiently good scientist, the job gets done. But unfortunately, that gets chewed up and spat out as the laws of the universe doesn't care who the physicist is. So neither do I. So shut up and do the job, which is not the same thing. Um, they start with the same premise, but if they don't care who the physicist is, then you can be whoever you want to be. Be however you're comfortable. And if somebody challenges on it, that's your excuse. The laws of the universe don't care this, and it's you know, a protective characteristic. So uh, no. I'm not going to temper myself. If you find it offensive, then um, I find that offensive. And carry on with the day. And whistle as you walk down the hallway, walking away from them, because, you know, you should be happy with who you are. That's very true. And I, I've also seen how, you know, I, at first, when I first got into, you know, science and the whole academia world, because as an undergraduate, you don't see it a lot of the times it's in you know academia and like the way the graduate students and professors see it you know a lot of the students are just there to like learn and go you know but since I got into this whole world of like maybe going to grad school science communication all that stuff I considered I got into it very early um I've seen some of the struggles and I've also experienced that struggle of like okay I'm just an undergraduate I shouldn't be telling them how to you know approach me or how to talk to me or you know like say that their joke makes me uncomfortable i think because i don't want to be seen as like troublesome and like you know unprofessional at such a young age and like such a young stage in my career but i've come to realize that if i don't feel comfortable with them i don't want to work with them at all if they don't make me feel comfortable if that makes sense you don't have to you don't have that um you don't owe them anything you don't owe them your time or or that um, if they make you uncomfortable, then you don't have to work with them. And if someone says you do, you don't have to work with them either. There's always an alternative. 
The world is a big place. Yeah, there's no, so many different people that you can that you can work with. You don't have to, you know, um, be with somebody that makes you uncomfortable just because you know maybe they're an expert in your field. But there's a lot of different experts in your field. Probably they're gonna treat you way better than that person is treating you. So if you're in a negative place, you should consider your options, and you should always feel comfortable working somewhere. They might not realize they're making you uncomfortable. They might um, truly just be. Uh, undergoing a learning moment and just because they are your quote unquote superior doesn't mean that um, they can't learn from you they should learn from you oh exactly I think everybody should use any you know maybe they're just not educated enough in that area particularly the um, how they're making you uncomfortable you should always try to speak it out and you know talk it out if possible but there's yeah. some situations that you know the person is you know treating you like that on purpose oh in those situations i think the best thing is just to get out of it of those toxic environments as soon as possible scientists aren't special a lot of scientists are really really dumb and really really bad um at reading social cues and really really bad at um navigating the world and realizing when they're in the wrong and sometimes you just got to spell it out for them i know that i'm in that group i'm unobservant and i don't learn quickly but I know that about myself. And so if someone comes up and tells me something, I really do appreciate it because I might not have spotted it otherwise. Everybody should always, you know, consider their options. And whenever they're feeling uncomfortable or feeling misrepresented in any way, they should think about why it is and what the other person is doing wrong and maybe talk to them about it. And if they see that they can, because there's some situations that you know you can't talk to somebody. You know what I mean? Like you get those vibes that like, you know, they're doing it on purpose. And maybe they're doing some comments specifically when you're there and stuff. And I think everybody should know that at any point it's okay to quit because, you know, your mental health is also important and your well-being is important. So, yeah. No one's saying you can't come back to school in two years when, you know, you can go to the bars again or go to a friend's place again when the world isn't burning. Oh yeah, and it's it's so it's so different right now. Like since you know we really can't be going out at this point because of the whole COVID situation, it's kind of taking a toll on some people because some people are staying with their families now, and maybe their family is not very accepting to them. And you know, it. I want anybody that's listening that's going through those kind of situations to know at any point there's they need to talk to somebody. They can always message me on the podcast account or my personal accounts. We can talk about whatever they need to talk about and vent about whatever they need to talk about. Because I know this whole COVID situation is crazy for everybody and we're all learning as we go. But, you know, we need to lift each other up whenever we can. Mm. So did you, like, ever feel like you didn't belong in, like, the scientific community? Mm. not until i left it that makes sense can you like talk a little bit about why yeah um i am uh for all intents and purposes like i'm white i present as a cis guy um i didn't i was gay until i went away to university so like my my uh in in school i felt as straight as everyone else and so i sort of had that drill into me and so like i am your prototypical male pale and stale just a bit younger um professor um 
so I never really felt like I didn't fit. I just felt like it wasn't for me. Um, things have happened in the last few years. I've been um, coming to terms with some disability stuff. That has been the most um, sort of... Oh, is that Artemis? Yep. <laughs> so the disability stuff, I'm visually impaired. Coming to terms with that has been the most othering um, in terms of academia. I didn't feel like I didn't belong because I was LGBTQ. I did feel like there wasn't necessarily um, this cultural fit, but I could you know, fight against that and make myself belong and force myself into that peg if I really wanted to. But in terms of disability, uh, being visually impaired, you know, I, I was coding almost all the day. I had to use uh, my uh, command prompt, the um, console. I had to use it in different colorways. Uh, text against the background. I mean, I always get weird questions about that. My eyes are bad. I didn't know that I was, you know, like chronically visually impaired. Um, going forward, I don't think I'd be able to work in that environment again in the same way. I'd have to completely, radically rethink the way that I worked to use uh, more than just visual aids in my work, maybe having screen readers or um, blue light filters and stuff to reduce eye strain. And that's the kind of thing that a lot of universities, at least in the UK, are not all that well set up for because they do deal in, you know, not having a bespoke experience, but just putting you through the grind and, you know, turning you out like, like a sausage in a sausage factory. And that's why I don't think I belong in academia now. Which is a shame, because I'm not the only person who is disabled who feels that way. Um, I'm still not big up in the disabled community. That's still something I'm working on in myself. Um, but this is something that academia really needs to work on. Disability access is not good. I completely understand. Um, I think it's something that I've heard from a lot of different, you know, disabled scientists and their experiences being an academic and how sometimes, you know, colleagues can make some comments that it, as you said, maybe they didn't mean it to hurt the person or to make them uncomfortable, but sometimes it does because maybe they're not equipped to talk to a disabled person. And that's something that the whole academic world has to, you know, think about and how they're, uh, they're providing the accessibility for um, disabled scientists to succeed in the environment. Yeah. But uh, I'm so glad we had this chat. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Do you want to plug your social medias for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find uh, me on Twitter. My personal account is at B Pearlstone. That's B P E A R L S T O N E. Uh, I tweet all kinds of crap there. Uh, the podcast Psycurious is the podcast that highlights LGBTQ people in STEM and gets to know the queer side of science. And you can find Psycurious on Twitter at Psycurious underscore pod. Um, I've got another project ongoing called Science is a Drag where uh, we put on an online live streamed variety show uh, highlighting LGBTQ performers and scientists. Uh, and you can find that on Twitter at Drag Science. Um, you can find Psycurious as well on the website, psycurious.co.uk or on Facebook, just search for Psycurious Pod and on Instagram at Psycurious Podcast. I'll definitely make sure to link all of those in the description for everybody. So I hope you had a great conversation and thank you so much. Thanks, Felix.